0: If you happened to be driving along the other night in downtown San Francisco, you might have seen something unusual in billboard art. They were changing the message on the billboard. Not just the message, but also the images. What began as a coy holiday ad for liquor ended up as an eerie protest of nuclear power, that seems to really bind them together with the contempt for Madison Avenue and the power of its images. So they alter, occasionally borrow, and even speak through those images. For me, seeing a billboard is an uh, act that I do every day, and I see thousands of them, and I don't even think about what they are or what they mean. But We are looking at the messages on the billboards themselves, and we're reacting against the messages, not just using the space for our... art.
1: I like people to make the people uh, realize that there can be responses, there can be defense against billboards. And I think some of the billboards are just plain
0: stupid, and so I react against their stupidity. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back with returning Lobo finally you are now back even though I'm here for now we weaseled you into the fast food follies episode I completely forgot to put a best of up last week I was just like "Uh, whatever Uh, yeah so but that show was fun to put together and edit anyways this episode this episode we have a gentleman by the name of John Law coming on the show I've been hunting this guy down literally for years because I was always fascinated by this thing called the Billboard Liberation Front. And they were this group of, um, I don't know what you'd call them, pranksters, uh, counterculture, what have you, that would go up and find the same font and the same color of whatever the billboard was. And they would alter billboards to make them say all kinds of stupid stuff, um, which we'll go into on the show. But this guy, this guy is lived a really remarkable and fascinating life. I've come to find out that he was part of one of the original San Francisco Suicide Squads, which was based on the book about the three guys that want to kill themselves. So they join a club and there's three stories about the three guys that, you know, they, they go off and do stupid things to kill themselves, which later evolved into another group called the Cacophony Society. And then the Billboard Liberation Front, this guy was a founding person behind Burning Man, He's just done a lot of really cool counterculture, really neat stuff that today you probably couldn't do. And uh, he's got a lot of really fascinating stories. And I've been trying to find the guy for years. And then uh, by pure happenstance, I just happened to run into him on the Internet. And I was like, wait a minute. You are that guy. I've been looking to (laughs) talk to you literally for like seven years. I've been trying to find you because like the Billboard Liberation Front, you go to their website. There's no contact information on there. It's very. It's very anonymous, very um, very Church of the Subgenius-esque for the most part, so yeah, I've been wanting to talk to him for a while, and, uh, and then after the show, I feel it's necessary to talk about my, uh, when I was sick a couple of weeks ago, I had some really crazy fever dreams, and I wrote them down, and uh, we'll probably end up discussing those in the post-show interview, so anyways, how have you been since I've been talking and rambling here this whole time? How are you? I'm here. You are here. And I am I am way over here on this side of the country. And have you drank all your Fago that I left you when I stopped out to see you? Nope. We were just starving, so we ended up at your place. And then I brought you like five two liters, or uh, was it six, six, five or six two five. liters of Fago. Five. I brought Apple.
1: one to work, and the kid freaking inhaled it.
0: Yeah, they don't make that anymore. That flavor is now gone. I guess they've since discontinued it. So. Yep. And I'm down to my last two cans of Moxie, two or three cans. <sighs> that stuff got inhaled fast. Moxie's a weird soda. It's it's mm-hmm. very dry. Like yep. it leaves a dry sensation in your mouth. Like it doesn't it doesn't quite wet your whistle. I guess there's a way to put it. I don't know. So, motor oil. It's good. It's not bad. It's got a very unusual I flavor. I didn't start
1: liking it until I was in my
0: 30s. It's good. Before that, it was terrible. It, it took me a little bit to get used to it. I mean, it's something mm-hmm. like it's really good cold. But anyway, yeah, you got to
1: drink it ice cold.
0: Um, well, you know what? Let's just jump into the interview here and uh, we'll finish up bullshit when we get to the other side of it. Mm hmm. All right. So with us tonight, we have John Law. This is a gentleman that I've been trying to find forever. And then uh, through Sean over at Sheriff's Slice podcast, I, I was listening to his episodes and I was like, hey, you know this guy. And he says, well, I've talked to him a couple of times. I'll put an email out to him and, and you can talk to him. So you have been, I guess, where do we start? You've been a part of the original Suicide Club over in San Francisco, which contrary to popular belief is not about people getting together to try to kill themselves, sort of uh the cacophony society you are part of the uh billboard liberation front you were a founding member of burning man um how many other organizations and things what haven't you done sir (laughs) and welcome to project archivist
2: (laughs) well i've never i've never been an accountant and uh i've never (laughs) uh i never voted as a republican um but but, uh i I don't know i'm just uh, i'm just I, i fall into things let's put it that way uh I feel, uh, in some ways, like a, a zealot of uh, sort of certainly West Coast underground activities for the last 40 years or so. Um, you know, and, and I get to New York uh, quite a bit and have over the years. Uh, some you want to know other organizations. I'm a member of the uh, of the uh, uh, what the hell uh, the, 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 the the Bronx uh, uh, Pipe Smoking Society, which is one of my favorites, um, and that's a little group run by Baron Ambrosia or uh, a fellow who. Uh, uh, He's quite an interesting character and brings together people around weird cuisines that he picks up from all around the world. Um, that's just one, one group that I was uh, offered entry into and couldn't, couldn't turn them down. But uh, getting back to some of the other things that are a little, little bit better known, um, you know, the Cacophony Society, uh, which I wrote a book about one with Terry Galbraith and Kevin Evans, covers a lot of this ground. And just to pimp that out a little bit, um, it's been reprinted. It's a book that we did in 2013. It's been reprinted in paperback, and it's currently available. And I'll be doing a reading in New York City sometime in December, probably, and doing a reading at City Lights Books in San Francisco uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, that tells a lot of the history. There's an introductory chapter in there about the Suicide Club, which was the precursor group to Cacophony, and. Cacophony, I would like to say, kind of like a kinder, gentler uh, Suicide Club. And, and so, to, to explain some of this to your listeners who may not know about it, the Suicide Club was an uh, underground, uh, kind of a secret society of sorts that the, uh, every, every member uh, could list anything they wanted to as an event in our monthly newsletter, which was mailed out in the mail uh, at that time. Uh, mail is like a piece of paper that got folded up, and a guy in a little blue suit came along and put it in a truck and delivered it to your house. And uh, so we communicated that way uh, and uh, disseminated uh, information about our events and stuff we were doing um, with the uh, technology available at the time well before the Internet, which changed things a lot. But, so the Suicide Club would offer uh, you know, group events that people would organize based on people's fantasies and uh, wanting to challenge their fears. You'd have a range of things. Uh, we do a lot of street theater, and we weren't very good at street theater, so it was very scary doing it. But uh, the idea wasn't necessarily to do successful street theater. It was just to do it something that we had never tried before. Um, Urban exploration, which is still quite a popular pastime for many, many, many people around the world. We climbed bridges and did a lot of uh, exploring of tunnels, abandoned buildings, live infrastructure sites. uh, And uh, we would infiltrate weird groups, political and religious groups, to try to figure out why people do the crazy, weird things that they do. Um, You know, the Moonies were one, Unification Church. You You infiltrated the Moonies? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We stayed, stayed with them for three days, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the better-known better known ones. And the Suicide Club, like I say, it was an underground group. We didn't publicize it. Uh, the stories and the, uh, and the history and information were, you know, kind of collected over time. Uh, and there were a couple of articles that came out at the beginning of the Suicide Club in 77, and then we kind of put the kibosh on that because we, didn't, we weren't doing it for attention. We didn't want to get in trouble, and we didn't want to tip off the cops if were doing this stuff. So we kind of kept it kept it pretty quiet, but that was a great group. Um, we did costume weird costume games, pretty elaborate ones sometimes. That I think that nowadays they call them LARPs, uh, LARP's live action role
1: Yeah, oh yeah, like, we're familiar got, with LARPing.
2: <laughs> right, and this is one thing. Uh, yeah, well, we didn't call it that. This is one thing that I find really amusing about the current period is how we come up with these uh, with these uh, uh, you know. Um, you know, LARPs or blocks—I mean, they're ridiculous-sounding words, phonetically absurd-sounding words that represent these fairly complex ideas. Um, but you know, back then we called it what it was—you know, putting on costumes and fooling around uh, or playing a game. Um, so the Suicide Club was a—it was a very—it was a very influential group in a, in a lot of in a lot of respects. We of course didn't know that at the time, but um, it 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 uh, came. But it it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of a vibrant existing underground uh uh kind of c- culture and environment in san francisco bay area and uh it was influenced by earlier iterations of weirdos uh going back to the data really i mean that was a big influence on the suicide club data and later surrealists um the uh you know we certainly had some influence from the, the hippie era i mean a lot of the hippie stuff was baloney but some of the stuff was pretty pretty cool and relevant and influenced what we were doing i like the diggers a lot that was a group that. Uh, believed in uh in free access to food and materials and they also had a great idea that you should you should live your life as though you're the lead actor in your own movie and if you <laughs> look at life that way you're gonna have a much more interesting life yeah, we do that already
0: <laughs> right? Well, <you> know, <laughs> you know, but if you do that
2: you know if you plan things that way you are going to have a much more interesting life so they're they an influence you know uh kesey and the and the and the uh the bus uh they were some somewhat of an influence i'd say the
1: beats before i was gonna them, say some of them you guys influence. sound a lot like the merry pranksters
2: <laughs> um, well there's some similarities um, you know they, you know when you really look at what they were doing at the time it was pretty small scale I mean and and uh, and kind of amateurish, much like we were okay
0: mm-hmm. but, you
2: know the residents came later I mean you know the, you know and you know, those set off in the first hippie bus right and then later there were like a billion hippie buses yeah. um, so I yeah. mean, it kind of kicked off a whole thing with that um, suicide club I mean I can't claim, you know, and no, nobody in the group, it was, a, it was a collaborative effort. I mean, I'm one of many people who's involved in it, uh, but I can't, and I certainly can't claim, you know, any ownership of, of any of the, the, the concepts or ideas. I mean, it was a collaborative effort, like I said. But, uh, you know, we were part of a history that was ongoing. We didn't invent sneaking into abandoned buildings, right? I mean, the Egyptians in the second Egyptian dynasty were sneaking into abandoned places from the first Egyptian dynasty. It's not something we invented. We didn't invent, you know, LARPing, you know, we didn't invent, I mean, shit's been done. We didn't invent urban climbing, we didn't invent any of that stuff, but we were doing it and we uh, kind of uh, formalized it in a way, in a group and in a group activity around a newsletter and around kind of a basic set of principles and concepts that we felt were a good way to approach living in the world. And so with that said, you know, that had an influence later, uh, which like I said, we couldn't have couldn't have perceived at the time was going to. I mean, you know, Chuck Palahniuk uh, who joined Cacophony when Portland Cacophony started in 1992, um, he was a wannabe novelist at the time and he wrote Fight Club and based Project Mayhem on the cacophony society which was an outgrowth of this whoa
0: really oh yeah he wrote the introduction for a book that is a movie that i find myself watching at least once a year like usually when things get dark in my life or weird i usually find myself going back to fight club yeah. and drawing on inspiration for life <laughs>
2: it's a great piece, great piece of work great piece of work the book is good and the movie is great and uh, uh chuck was in portland cacophony and uh and he was a like like everybody else in uh, in in the group he was a, a working guy he was a he was a diesel mechanic at the time. And uh, he just based his novel on, this, you know, partially on his experiences. And he was in this weird group. And so Project Mayhem, although it's quite different in some respects, it's very, has a lot of stuff drawn upon the Cacophony Society. And he, he's quoted saying that, in, you know, in, in, in interviews here and there. And he wrote the introduction to our book, uh, Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society. So these are resonances we, we couldn't have known it at the time. I mean, SantaCon, we started the first SantaCon in 1994. Uh, sorry about that everybody (laughs) but uh with with that said
0: SantaCon is that the one where everybody dresses up like santa claus yeah exactly i think we covered it on the show at one point yeah (laughs) go ahead rather
2: it's let's just say it's an event that's outworn its welcome in some places but when we started it there were 30 of us this is in Francisco, 33 of us to be exact in san francisco and uh and the idea was to kind of make fun of the commercialization of holidays and the Christian underpinnings of, to some, to my, my interpretation of it, Christian underpinnings of, uh, of the, of the, uh, of the holiday and just kind of make fun of it. and kind of take the holiday back, uh, you know, from, uh, from Macy's departments are in Coca-Cola, you know? Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, when we started that, we didn't know, we had no idea it was going to bust out and be done in, you know, hundreds of cities around the world by literally hundreds of thousands of people, but it is. And, the reason that happened is because, and this is why a lot of this stuff became, you know, more, uh, let's say, uh, influential in the larger world, in the, in the general population. is Because when we were doing this weird shit, we were in San Francisco, where the internet world was being built at the same time by some people, there know, some crossover in the groups. And, and as that started happening, all this weird shit that we were doing, which was normal to us, was, was uh, amplified by this growing internet communication network that was being built. Okay. In other words, stuff we do become a meme. Uh, you know, a meme used to take like uh, you know, like a month to, to six months to get around the world. You know, have to get a boat. Yeah. right Now a meme will shoot around the world in uh, you know, in, in in five seconds. Okay. But in 1996 or 1994, rather, when we did the first uh, SantaCon and there were 33 Santas, the idea of a whole bunch of people dressed up as Santa running around just, you know, like being crazy and having fun and kind of making fun of uh, the holiday wasn't in people's head, okay, it just wasn't, it wasn't in their head, they hadn't really conceived of it, so you'd be there, there were 33 Santas running around the street, you know, like taking over the, the, the bar at the St. Francis Hotel, or, uh, you know, or uh, running through Macy's, yelling, ch- uh, chanting, charge it, charge it, charge it to the Christmas shoppers, and people were literally <laughs> dumbfounded by seeing these Santas, they literally stand there with their mouths hanging open, and uh, Chuck Serino and Scott Beal both made films. Uh, 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 Scott, Chuck made a film, the 95, the second SantaCon Con that we did. Um, and then Scott did a film, a lot longer film called You Better Watch Out, <laughs> next year, the 96 Santa Con in Portland. And, and you can literally see it in people's faces. They're just shocked. They're shocked by seeing all these Santas. Nowadays, it's just like people see it. And they're, maybe they're amused. Maybe they're annoyed. But they're not shocked. It doesn't.
0: Yeah, flash mobs are a thing. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, they're a thing. People get it. Oh, it's a flash pop of sand. Yeah. They have a box to put it in. Back then, they kind of busted some wires in people's heads because they didn't only have a, a preconceived <laughs> notion of what it was. And that's a lot of what the group was about, was trying to pick, trying to do stuff that wasn't part of the general regimen, the general social interactive you know, calendar of things that you do out in the world. And people would
0: come up with the weirdest ideas. We covered a fight that happened... Um... I think it was last year was it Christmas time last year we covered some article about a group of Santas that got into a big massive fight somewhere in New York yeah or something I've like that. Did, that do you are you <laughs> oh so, okay you weren't no, you, no, your no. group wasn't I'm, part I'm, of that I'm, or whatever i not a
2: pugilist and uh, and Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk's interpretation of uh, cacophony or, or his uh, extrapolation of it into the fight club is uh, that's fa- uh, that's fantasy because we didn't yeah. do fight club we weren't be- beating each other up he was he was you know uh, drawing upon the pranking you know well, aspect of cacophony, which we did a lot. So, of. tell us uh-huh. about
0: some of the stuff that you did then. You know what what did you guys do prank wise? See, as nobody else was doing – that's another thing that me and Lobo were talking about before the show started is a lot of the stuff that you guys did, you just can't do now because of post-9-11. Like you can't really climb bridges like you used to. Everything's watched. There was cameras everywhere. That's, that's you, you were cutting-edge pranksters.
2: I have to tell you something. You're, you're wrong. You're wrong about what you said. No, go I don't ahead. mean to be rude, but there's more urban exploration now than ever. I mean people are climbing all kinds of things. Okay. Urban exploration. Is way bigger. There are way more people involved in it now than there were in 77 when we were doing it. And there are different iterations of these things that cycle through over the years. Uh, building climbing was popular for about a year back in 77, 78. They called yeah. it buildering. Okay, figure that one out, building. Uh, and uh, and that was a thing. And so we were part of this larger cultural thing that was going on. We just got more intimate. You know, we got more involved in creating it. Right now, I do urban exploration right now, but I, I can't talk about specific – at all?
0: Yes, correct. I understand.
2: But with that said, generally speaking, there's you know you would be shocked, shocked if you knew some of the places that people go into with urban exploration, and it's just not. I assumed as well as you did at nine eleven that that was it. They put all these security measures in place, cameras everywhere. But the thing to keep in mind is that all of those systems are operated by human beings, and it depends upon the 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 the, the value of the location that they're supposedly protecting uh, the levels of, uh, of interest, the time that stuff's been there, the age of the equipment and all of that. And for all those cameras, nine out of 10 of them, nobody's watching the fucking camera. Yeah. That's a, that's a simple truth.
0: Yeah. Well, I live in Detroit, so <laughs> well, I live by Detroit and you've, you've gone through, you you're familiar with Detroit. So <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? I didn't mean to cut you off there, but, but, uh, but the, there's, it's still happening and it, See, this is the thing that everybody says. It's like, oh, it used to be better back then. Everything was great. People were doing all these cool things. Now we can't do them. That's simply not true. You know, I get people talking to me all the time about young people. Going, oh, it must have been great to be in the Suicide Club. Or what was it like early Burning Man on the desert? That must have been awesome. I'm like, yeah, it was great. But who gives a fuck? That was like a million years ago. I mean, it was like <laughs> a million years ago. What's going on right now that's just as cool, believe me, it's just as cool, you know, and I know a little bit of it because, you know, the kids don't fucking tell me everything. Cause I'm a teacher, <laughs> right. But, I, you know, I'm saying, but there's shit going on all over the place. And if there's not, all you have to do is find two other people who have a uh, you, you know, who have a, a little bit of interest in doing it and maybe a little bad attitude. And you can go. I mean, that, you know, like, I mean, yeah. that in a loving sense, <laughs> but you can go out with the three of you and create your own fucking entertainment and reality that's not based uh-huh. on commerce. Okay, that's a big part of all this stuff. It's not about money, not about doing something to make money, not about changing money, changing hands. I mean, we pay for fucking everything, pay for, you know, for relationships, we pay for all of our entertainment, we pay, we pay for, you know, friendship, We've, everything's like been commoditized and commodified in some fashion. The radical aspect of what I've been involved in and what I continue to be involved in is not about the fucking money. And that's so important. It's so important to emphasize that. You know, I don't know how I don't know how how I could emphasize it more strongly. Um, And and it requires a little bit of slack. I mean, I've always had a day job. You know, I don't I don't make money doing events. I don't make money exploring stuff. So I've got to have some way to, to finance it. And, you know, and it's not expensive. You know, I mean, you can do kind of crazy events, fun, interesting, amazing things. And if you've got a good nature about it and you're not you're not doing pranking, you know, in some dumb jackass way to like to hurt somebody or to be an asshole. You know, I mean, pranking should be funny. It should be it should be. It should be amusing. It shouldn't be, uh, in my opinion, it shouldn't be, uh, you know, destructive really, and spiteful. Uh, yeah. mean, horribly mean spirited and spiteful. A little bit, you know, a little bit of like kind of poking them is good. But, uh, you know, just, you know, I mean, it's just, it just sadism if mm-hmm. you're just trying to hurt somebody.
1: right?
2: <laughs> and so it's like you know, the a thing, you know, that can shock, shock people, but in a, in a good way, I like to think, for the most part. And uh, and uh, you know the idea was to just kind of bust some wires and people said get them to think about things differently and also mm. to have fun, you know. Billboard Liberation Front. Uh, mm. When we were doing that, we we're altering billboards, going up on billboards and changing the messages, the corporate messages. We said we were improving them. We weren't vandals. We were actually mm. assisting mm. the. Uh, we were assisting the uh, um, advertising agencies, you know, Chiat Day at Ogilvy Mather, in in correcting their lame ad copy and making it better.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna read something off your website uh, here for the Billboard Liberation Front. Um, This is what you guys have. It's a little paragraph, uh, corporate message from Billboard Liberation Front. I'm sure this is pretty old, so you guys haven't updated it for a while, but headquartered in San Francisco, the BLF is a private-held, worker-controlled shadow entity with no phone number and no permanent address. Our highly secure operating environment and extra-legal status guarantee our clients the acme of service. You need a fucking thesaurus to read this, while our international recognized creative team delivers (laughs) unmatched, wow, unmatched. Wow. This this could not be full of more corporate jargon. I love it. Unlike traditional agencies, the BLF is not yep. available for general hire and office services only to an exclusive list of advertisers. This reeks of Church of the sub genius, which is another reason I love it. Our clients are carefully selected on the basis of complex formula known only to the Cabal insiders, and our improvement actions are undertaken in a pro bono basis, unfettered by the petty demands of clueless executives and weak need, middle managers. This also reeks of negative land. Um, The unique position uh, of independence allows an unlimited creative freedom and provides the key unlocking messages that might otherwise have been lost in the bureaucratic nutterings of some spineless account team. We pride ourselves on our total lack of customer service and our laser-like focus on message. I mean, like every corporate buzzword that you could put in there, I mean, it's just like, yeah. this means absolute shit, uh-huh. but you're excited about reading it because you think it's like the next great Coca-Cola flavor or something like that. So hands off to you guys.
2: Oh, that was the idea. That was the intention. That was the intention. And I wish I could take credit for, I wish I could take credit personally for writing that. But my, uh, my old partner, uh, uh blank, D. Coberly wrote that he was, uh, our chief of propaganda, uh, and uh, uh, for, for the billboard liberation front right back in the 90s, and uh, Blank, uh, which is not his real name, <laughs> was uh, <laughs> and is an advertising an advertising executive, and uh, so that's where the jargon comes from. And he was uh, he loved to do the billboard liberation front stuff, I think. And I can't say for sure, and I can't speak for him, but I, I imagine part of it was to expiate some guilt <laughs> about what he did for a living. But uh, so I got the You should
0: not be guilty at all, because <laughs> you guys did great stuff.
2: Yeah, no, we, and I had this great opportunity to work with these amazing people and interesting people. And you mentioned and Negative Land, and you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, Subgenius, and we know those guys pretty well. Pretty well. Um, actually, I, I did a, a Billboard event, uh, East Coast, West Coast, New York, San Francisco Billboard show in 1999 that I, I uh, co-produced with Ron English. And for the, for the San Francisco iteration of the show, it was a billboard show where we invited everyone that we knew across the country who did billboards to, to put, you know, billboard photographs in, in our show. So we had over 100 people who have done billboards in the show. And uh, Negative Land performed at, our, uh, at the lab, which was the, uh, which was the uh, gallery that we did our San Francisco show in. Uh, and it was the first time the entire group had, had performed together in some years. And they billed themselves as Positive Land for the, for the event. <laughs> and, uh, and some genius guys we know we know quite well. Um, Dr. Hal Robbins and puzzling evidence and uh, so, you know, Stang doesn't live in, in California but we see him every once in a while. So yeah.
0: Stang's been on here a couple of times.
2: Oh yeah, he's he's a lot of fun and he's, he's a fucking character as you know. Um, <laughs> and so you know, these weird, these people tend to like gravitate together and before the internet, finding somebody like a puzzling evidence or like a Dr. Hal or something, finding them was like a you found a gem. It's like you were you know, digging through the muck and you found a ruby or something because it was hard to find people who had those weird kind of sensibilities. And so, genius, which came out of an earlier discipline called, uh, um, um, well, the earliest one was the APAs, which were um, amateur press associations back in the 20s and 30s. And that sort of gravitated into uh, into male art, what was called male art, which was big in some European intellectual uh, uh, kind of left and anarchist circles, uh, the neoists and people like that. But Sub uh, Subgenius was the uh, kind of the homegrown iteration of that, and it came out this whole thing about mail, about weirdos all around the country mailing each other weird shit and mm-hmm. sharing it that way. That's kind of how that started, and then uh, and uh, and it was influenced by these earlier groups. And that's like I say, the stuff that we did—we didn't invent any of this stuff. We just sort of like codified it, kind of like you know, sort of formalized it. Um, and we're influenced by all kinds of really interesting weird things in the past. And that's the important thing. I mean, you can draw upon any kind of creative disciplines or histories or you know literature, film, or whatever, and you can draw upon that for ideas to create your own world and live in it, like the diggers did. Like live each you know live your life as though you're the lead character in your own film. I mean, just thinking that way it makes you look at the mm-hmm. world differently. Um, and uh, you know, collaborating with other people on a, on a level on an intense level, you know, in the real world and taking some real risks sometimes, which with real Uh, potential, uh, you know, for for failure or for, uh, you know, blowing up in your face. I mean, that does, you know, I mean, every time you do something you're not supposed to do, you are taking a risk and you have to calculate that. You have to be aware of that. You know, with the billboard liberation front, we didn't feel like we were vandals at all because we didn't damage the billboards. We put up paste overs and we, uh, we made them in a way that would be easily taken off of the billboard. We would leave a note for the billboard workers, the sign workers saying, hi, guys, didn't mean to you know, bum out your day or anything, but here's how you take all this stuff off and we would leave a six pack huh. of beer for them on top of the note. Uh, That's true. And then, and then in years, yeah, and, and, and because we you know, we didn't want to, we're not against the sign workers. We're not against the signs. We like the billboards, right? We just thought that the messages on them were lame. And we thought, uh, you know, I mean, my whole, my whole uh, uh, belief system for the billboard stuff is that everybody should have their own billboard. You know, I'm not against billboards. I'm just against dumb ass corporations trying to sell you junk uh, you know, with no...
0: You got the AT&T when it says... That's the way I feel AT&T about at and works in more places like... And then you've got this banner over top of it. It says NSA headquarters. The McDonald's ones are great. The McDonald's <laughs> yeah, ones are... Like, you, uh, you have about 1,000 yeah. taste buds, 10,000 taste buds in your mouth. Kill all of them. So what you would do is you would create... You would take right. the font and the color of, of the billboard, and you would go up and alter it and change the message on it. Um, the gin one is is really funny. Correct. Gordon's gin. Yeah, it correct. fucks it, it fucks you up. <laughs> um, right, That's right. Awesome. right. So the, the message
2: is you know, very very specific. Yeah. Um,
0: like the McDonald's ones. There was another one that was like uh, I'm hating it or something like that or, or something. Yeah,
2: yeah. Those were those were Milton, Milton Rand kalman came up with those campaigns. And he was a younger guy. He's about 15 years younger than I am. And he, he worked with us for many years uh, back in, in the 90s. And uh, those, those were camp- – see, we're, there were several people in the group, and we'd come up with our different campaigns, and we'd work them together. Um, I did, the, I did the, uh, uh, camel, uh, the, the Camel Neon Billboard was one that I came up with, and uh, the LSD, Beginning of Something Wonderful. Those are my campaigns. But and I, like to spe- I like to specify the people who individually cr- created the idea, and then we collectively brought it to life. That's what the group is about. All, almost all the work that I've done has been collaborative work. It's not just me. I'm not just some wild and crazy guy out there coming up and just doing everything myself. Not at all. I've collaborated with, you know, literally, I mean, dozens of people, like an, intensely, and hundreds of people, you know, over the course of my uh, uh, career as a whatever you want. I don't know, what artist, prankster, or whatever. But uh, the point being, you can get a lot more done if you have some people of a like mind uh, working together to accomplish it. And, uh, I mean, that's how the company God, it does out. still something
0: like project mayhem. <laughs>
2: well, it does, doesn't it? You know, I mean, uh, yeah.
0: So, uh, I want to hear some of the stories of the stuff that you did, like, uh, like the, doing the, like the billboard liberation stuff, climbing up on these signs and doing this stuff. You had to have gotten in trouble at some point or urban exploration. Some of the things that you've done, I, I'm sure there's, you've, you've gotten to some crazy adventures. Some shit had to go down at some point or another.
2: Well, yeah, I've got a million, I've got a million stories. Um, I could do well. Uh, we were only apprehended once doing a billboard, and it wasn't. And it was, a, it was the uh, it was the preliminary billboard hit that we did in the Suicide Club that uh, was organized by Gary Warren and Adrian Burke as an event in the Suicide Club, and I went on it as a 19-year-old newbie in the uh, in the group. And, uh, and was inspired by it to start the Bilber Liberation Front. But the Suicide Club, the, the miracle of that group is that we would try anything, even if we fucking had no clue how to do it, right? <laughs> and so we'd be influenced by <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, we'd be influenced that's by That's the spirit, it. man. That's
0: the spirit.
1: Yeah.
2: That's the American spirit. That's, that's why America's great. <laughs> and I have this, I have this awesome. funny argument, uh, ongoing kind of uh, uh, humorous uh, uh, debate with some French friends of mine about the intellectual underpinnings of, uh, of, of what, of what uh, would be called uh, situationist, you know, related art and pranking and that sort of thing. And uh, they're, they're very into theoretical uh, concepts and, uh, and, uh, and talking things through, you know, Americans just go, Hey, let's go do it, man. <laughs> like, you know, put that on my tombstone. Hey, let's do it. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, there's a very, there's a very different attitude. And that's why, you know, that's a good and a bad thing about Americans both. It's good because we'll do stuff and try it and just test it out, do beta testing or whatever. Uh, And it's bad because we'll try stuff without really thinking it through, and sometimes it blows up in your face, right? It just does. So with the Suicide Club, you come up with an idea. People would choose to do it, and then you go out and do it. So with the Billboard, uh, Gary and Adrian, actually Adrian Burke came up with the idea, and she had been kind of annoyed by this Billboard campaign, uh, Max Factor uh, uh, um, um, Self-Defense, which is a moisturizing product, uh, and she wanted to change the message on the billboard. And so, and they had never done a billboard before. And they just kind of thought, well, how do you do it? Well, you got to get up on the building. And there were a couple of climbers in the group. I was a Pierre, uh, it was one Jean was one. I was a pretty good climber and, and, uh, you know, we would uh, get up on, on top of buildings and we would drop down this weird rope ladder that we made. Right. And see, we weren't climbers. We weren't, uh, we didn't know anything about technical climbing or about caving. We learned that shit later. So we, we looked at the movies, and I think it was like Tarzan and the Green Goddess or one of those 50s serials, and they had a rope ladder. And we thought, well, we can make oh, no. one of those. So we made oh, a no. rope ladder, and the thing was like – and we used wooden flat, and it rolled up about like four feet diameter, weighed about 90 pounds, and it was the stupidest – it was retar- It was ridiculous. <laughs> okay? But it worked, right? And we would, you know, for the first year of the Suicide Club, before we learned better, before we learned how to actually climb and use technical assist climbing, we'd carry this big, lumpy. thing. I get this out. image
0: of, like, the Batman Absolutely. show where they're climbing up the side of the building in the Batman show and someone sticks their head out, you know, and talks to the person climbing it, and you can tell that they're just, like, standing on a flat surface, you know, walking along exactly. a rope. But that's what I get, or, like, some bad sitcom, you know, where they talk about this is how it's supposed to go, and then the sitcom and is how it actually goes, you got know? It.
2: You nailed it. And, see, that's the thing I want to point out. I mean, people hear about the Suicide Club or like early Burning Man and think, like, oh, those guys must be really brilliant, fabulous. No, we were a bunch of morons <laughs> testing tr- out these ideas. The thing that was unique, the thing that was wonderful about it is that we would try anything and we learned from our mistakes. Don't get me wrong. We eventually learned from our mistakes, but we would try anything.
1: And that and, is uh, the American so, like, spirit.
2: It totally is. <laughs> and, and so with that said, uh, you know, that, that's got a value to it. And so with the billboard thing, so we made this dumb rope ladder, but we got up on the building, right? I climbed up the pipe on the wall, tied it off, rolled the, you know, pulled it up with a rope, tied off the rope ladder. Everybody, 26 people on the roof of the building. I was in a gorilla suit because we always carried an animal costume or two in case the (laughs) cops showed up today. What? (laughs) And, uh, you know, and then we did, we altered these two billboards, you know, they're back-to-back billboards and we brought up, the. they brought up buckets of wheat paste because this was before we got into our whole thing about not damaging the billboards we didn't know any better right we've never done it before and uh we we voted on what to change the two captions to all right with 26 people on the rooftop that took an hour that took hours it was ridiculous but looking back i mean it was like we did it i mean we went up we changed these giant freeway messages and it you know and we did get arrested, got arrested that time because we didn't it wasn't a very efficient way to do it and i was inspired by that event very inspirational event to form a group to do billboards that was more efficient, where we actually did, like, you know, take, be very careful and only take, only have two or three people up on the billboard, have more people down on the ground with with radios watching out, you know, and then we did that. We, I'm curious
0: how you dealt with having 26 people on a rooftop with a rope ladder and you're wearing a gorilla suit and you're altering a billboard and the cops show up. <laughs> how exactly does one navigate through that kind of situation?
2: Well, we knew the cops were coming for quite, for quite some time because we saw them, because we're up on...
0: <laughs> and you didn't leave. We couldn't
2: leave. We couldn't leave. Part of the... Uh, um, part of the... What do we call it? Like, the the culture of the group was, you know, we would stick together. We, we chose to do an event together. We had an agreement, that we stay together to the end of it. So, like, in a cop show, if you didn't run away, you hung out with everybody, you didn't threaten the cops, and you just told, you know, you said, hey, this is what we're doing. And usually, actually, almost always what we're doing was... It was never... You know, um, what's the right word? Ill intention, or it might have been illegal, technically illegal. But what we're doing wasn't, you know, wasn't mean spirited. And with the with the case of this one billboard that we did, a lot of people have been kind of like annoyed by the billboard. It's kind of a fucked up campaign. And uh, it's funny because while we were being uh, while we were being arrested, because the cops first showed up didn't want to arrest us. They wanted to let us go, but they got hold of the property manager, which was the uh, outdoor advertising company that owned the billboard, and they insisted. They insisted that the police book us. It, it got thrown out later. I mean, it got thrown out a month later. Nobody was charged. But, uh, and, and the cops knew that was going to happen. They knew that they were going to arrest 26 people, which we going to take all night. They're going to have to book us in. They're going to do all this work for nothing. And so we were cool. We weren't saying, hey, fuck you, cops. We hate cops. And we were like, hey, officer, what can we do? You know, here's what we did. You know, we did the billboard, and we thought it was kind of a messed up billboard. We thought it should have a better caption. And one of the cops, the arresting cops, was a, was a, was a female cop who actually turned up later in the suicide club she arrested us at another event some years <laughs> later her name was Luetta Columbano. and she was talking to Adrian Burke as we were waiting in line to go down the cuz with the cops got on the roof only when the fire department showed up because cops couldn't get on the roof cuz they didn't have a dumb you know a rope ladder like we did they had to wait till the fire department showed up oh my the, god so the show. cops
0: and the fire and department so were there now I'm
2: not yeah
1: they Fantastic. they so they, they
2: were watching them and we were ready for them they, we were sitting in the middle of the of the rooftop of the of the warehouse that we were on, all totally in view, and everybody's hands where they could see them, because cops, when they come to a situation like that, they're scared to fucking death. They don't know what's going on. They got to call if there was a burglary of a building. They they're expecting to find two guys with a knife or a gun, right? They're mm-hmm. afraid. They come up on the rooftop. They see 26 people sitting in a little a little scrum with a gorilla in the middle of them, and they're just like, they're like what the <laughs> fuck? What are you people doing up here? Right? Their reaction mm-hmm. isn't. The reaction isn't oh my god criminals we've got to be careful it's like what you know they, it throws them off balance and and it's that second where they're off balance that you address what's going on and, and gary and adrian boy and a girl man and a woman you know they're kind of a little bit out front of the group uh and they said hi officers we want to tell you why we're here and what's going on and the and the cops uh, they just listened right and they had got the call for a burglary they didn't even know about the billboard they didn't know we were altering a billboard that's not why they showed up they thought we were burglars somebody uh, an industrial guard had seen somebody climbing up the, the uh, retarded ladder on the side of the building and, uh, and called the cops saying the burglary in progress. Okay. So that's what they responded to. So once they figured out what was going on, they were relieved. Okay. They're like, oh, oh God. Okay. This is good. You know, we don't have to worry about getting shot by some burglar, like hiding out in a, in a, in a crevice. And, and then, then they were going to card us, take our names and addresses and let us go. And in the meantime, um, the commanding officer had gotten in touch with the property owner and they insisted they book us and the cops were not happy about that and they weren't mad at us they were mad at the fucking Dover company because they, they knew it was going to get thrown out they, just knew, they knew it was a bunk charge right?
1: thanks for wasting so, our time dickheads
2: well you know and yeah so 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 the, so the worst thing we could be accused of would be wasting the police's time correct But with
1: that, no uh, I'm talking about the, that, what the cops said to the owners the oh, poor cops oh, had yeah, to yeah, fucking yeah. book all of you guys so they just wasted their night right. doing something they could have just said you know what guys just go see you later Wow! Yeah,
2: they could have done that, and, and you know we would have offered to you know to pay to have the, the two sign guys come and clean the sign up. We actually ended up doing that. We offered to pay the time for their two sign workers to clean the sign up, and uh, and we ended up paying for it. It was like three hundred bucks or something. It'd be like you know like a grand now. It wasn't cheap, but there were twenty six of us, so we split the cost. So that was my first billboard, and I was inspired by that, as crazy as it was, and as how much it blew up in our face. We learned from it, right? And so I styled. I started the Billboard Liberation Front with Dave Warren who was one of the co-founders of the Suicycle. He was a much older guy. He was a graphics designer, and he would do the little designs for the billboards that we were doing. And I was kind of like the ninja guy who would like figure out how to sneak up on the buildings and figure out security, you know, and how to get around without getting busted and uh, figure out escape routes. You know, I did one one billboard we did one time. I rigged a, uh, a 200-foot cable on it with a zip line. So if the what? cops were to come, we would zip line up. Yeah, I'm serious.
1: That's awesome. we were awesome. kind of disappointed
2: they didn't show up. Yeah, we were kind of disappointed they didn't show up. I, <laughs> I would have been too. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, well, but it was fun, you know. It was fun, and uh, you know, so so we did this over the course of many years, and uh, you know, we would do press releases for uh, you know for the each each event that we did, each billboard that we did. And when we first started out, we styled ourselves after uh, like a terrorist organization, like Billboard Liberation Front, you know, like Palestinian Liberation Organization or whatever. <laughs> and we'd like to say that uh, that we were like not we were, uh, we weren't like a, like a wimpy group like the PLO. We were like real, you know, we real, real radicals. And then later. Like in the in the ninety or late eighties, early nineties, we started changing a little bit. We started calling ourselves an advertising agency, okay, not a terrorist group. And now, when you think about it, they're kind of the same thing <laughs> in a way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But um, and we started sending out our press releases as an advertising agency, okay. And here we are. We're improving. You know, we're actually here. We're part of the. We're part of this culture and industry, and we're doing our part to like improve the uh, the, the message and the product, okay. So now. What are they going to say to that, right? <laughs> we went we went way out of our way to not damage the billboards, and we propagandized the shit out of that. And over the course of many years, there are at least two or three times, two times for sure that I know of, industry spokesmen being interviewed for an article about the billboard liberation front, saying in the press that we don't actually vandalize their billboards; we just kind of mess them up, and they're 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 annoyed by it. Okay, that's because of the language that we use over time inculcating people with the idea that we weren't vandals. Okay. We're not vandals B.L.F. was not we're, we're not vandalizing. We were borrowing the space. That's that's a collective space because it's out in the public and you can't ignore it. All right. You know, you can't, you can ignore your television. You can ignore your, 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 uh, you know, your, uh, uh your computer. You don't have to read magazine ads, right? You don't have to do any of that, but you can't avoid billboards. Okay. <clears throat> And so, consequently, we just decided that they were co- they were collective property, and anybody could use them. Right? That's, that's mm. that was the whole plan. So, as far as BLF goes, that's kind of the the basic general uh, concept in in a nutshell. And we like to encourage everybody to go out and do their own billboards, and like to point out you don't have to go to these elaborate. You know measures that we go to. You don't have to like do neon and cover over you know like neon sections of billboards. You don't need to climb up on hundred foot billboards fifty feet over the ground. You can take a you know, fucking crayon and alter a a subway you know, <laughs> ad. Okay, you're part of the you're part of the scheme, right? You're you're in. You know what I mean? And that's really important for people to know. And it's important to people to know whether they ever actually alter a billboard or not, or uh, an advertising message or not, because it gets them to think about the message differently. Okay. Gets them to think about the message differently. If they understand that they could change it and make it say something differently, they start thinking about it. And by thinking about it, they start to understand where the underpinning of the intent of the advertisers and the, you know, the, or corporations behind them come from, and they're no longer controlled mentally by those corporations. It frees them in a way. So I consider that pretty radical myself.
0: Well, the whole idea of taking somebody – that's why I really like negative land a whole lot. They're they're kind of this quirky group that takes oh, yeah. commercials and all of these things and they alter them and then they put them back out again. It's a form of art within itself. Um like, there is uh, a the one thing. Uh, they brilliant. They did this song about copyrights or something. They had to do something. I think it was called, like, It's My Mermaid or something like that, where the guy's calling some. The, the guy, they bought something and they were doing something with it. And the guy calls him up and says, No, you can't do that. I own this. I will take you to court. Blah, 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 blah. And. Um, they just take all this stuff and re, they, they juxtapose it and just throw it back out there like, here you go. And it's kind of the same thing with these billboards. Yep. You just take this stuff that's already out there and you just alter it to fundamentally change the message or whatever. And you look at it and you're like, that's not right. But, you know, uh, like a while ago, that guy that was like, the world's going to end on this date and uh, Harold Camping, I believe his name was. Oh, yeah. and.
1: Ugh, I kept Christ. seeing
0: the billboards afterwards and everywhere I would see this billboard, somebody would have, they would have like things on it, like saying fail, like the day after it and it didn't happen. They, they, somebody would go up and just put this big banner Wrong. that said fail on the bottom of the billboard <laughs> exactly. or something like that.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, and that's, that's, that's the idea. That's what we And Negative Land is very similar. They're, they're using uh, sound collage and music. Uh, and spoken word to do it. We were we were using you know billboard images and 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 uh, uh, images and, and words on billboards. So it's very similar, uh, same same thing. Really. Um, and they're they fellow you know fellow travelers and comrades, and I greatly admire them. And actually, they came up with the term. Uh, Don Joyce came up with the term uh, culture jamming back in uh, in uh, '84 uh, after being uh, influenced by. Uh, billboard work that, that we and Mark Pauline and Craig Baldwin and some other people in San Francisco had done, they they came up with the term after looking at the mashups that we were doing. So uh, so negative Lance and they took it they took it to a whole another level. I mean you know, like a whole another level, um, and influenced a whole generation of uh, of sound artists, you know, and uh, and and activists and pranksters. I mean the thing about it is it's like. If you want to be a quote-unquote activist and change the world, I mean, how are you going to do it? Like by fighting the man and off the man and all that? I mean, they'll just crush you like a fucking bug, okay? They they don't care, right? I mean, the only thing you can do, the only power you have is to make fun of them. That's it. That's why Trump is so successful. He's fucking hard to make fun of. He's he's such a living, walking parody that nothing (laughs) sticks to him, right? Okay? So – The really brilliant thing for future pranksters to do is figure out how to fucking effectively prank Donald Trump. You do that, and you're a pranking genius.
0: (laughs) And there's actually I have to say the the Onion is actually having a hard time coming up with satire news anymore because it's hard to tell yeah. what's satire and what's real anymore because of everything that's going on right now. Like it used to be like, you'd read yeah, an onion yeah, article correct. and you'd be like, wow, that's pretty funny. But now even I think South park was even the same way. South park was like, we can't make fun of politics anymore because it's a parody of itself. It's too weird. Yeah, it's too weird. And the, and it's the Onion's the same. Like when an onion article posts anymore and I read it, I'm like, this could actually be a real news article now at this point, you know, because <laughs> yeah. everything is mm. kind of just turned in on itself and, in weird ways.
2: Or you just, more creative, you have to get a little bit ballsier. Um, there's, a, there's a group that's been out for some years now called In Decline. Have you run no. into them? They've done a lot of media stuff, a lot of media pranking. They're the ones they did uh, a thing in, in several major cities around the country back during the election. They made these life-size uh, statues of Donald Trump, of a naked Donald Trump with a oh, tiny Oh Yeah, feet. yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. they put them in, yeah. and they're really nice. Yeah. They put them in uh, the town square. They put them one in San Francisco on Castro Market. And they put one in New York. They put one in Baltimore, I don't know, wherever else. Uh, they've done a bunch of billboard stuff, a lot of billboard work. And if you look them up in decline, you'll find them and look at their billboard work. They've actually done a ton of work uh, and they're a looser group and they're national. Uh, unlike billboard liberation, we were in San Francisco and we did some stuff in New York and some stuff in Portland. But, but for the most part, we're in San Francisco. They're, they're national. And I think they have like local correspondents or whatever they do. work. I know some of the kids who are in their twenties who are in that group here in the Bay area and they're awesome. They're funny. They're doing. And they, they did it a billboard. Uh, I uh, got, what was it? Uh, oh yeah. Ice makes kids disappear. That was their billboard, <laughs> which is really, you know, if you're going to, you know, yeah. I mean, right, it was That's very good. Look, look it up. Look Google, yeah. Google ice makes kids disappear, you know, on your, on your Google photos. Right. Oh, and man. you'll find it. Um, br- brilliant stuff. So people are still doing this stuff, right? It's like, I'm like 60 years old, you know, I mean, I'm still, I got my hand in it, you know, but I'm not running as hard as I used to. I hang out with the kids. That's what I was you know? going
0: to ask you next is, um, how much of this stuff are you still involved with? And if somebody wants to start a group like the Cacophony Society or anything like that, um, so it's a two part question. What advice do you have to give people to start doing this kind of stuff? So I guess like are you still doing this and what are you involved with now? Or what can you can you talk well, about at
2: least? As far as as far as how, so how much stuff up. I'm involved in now I, I, I would refer you to my okay. attorney to discuss that. Okay. But with that with that uh, with that said, uh, as far as starting out your own group, this is a, it's a good question. It's one i thought a lot about and I've answered in the past. What you do is you look at what you want to do. You figure out what you want to do. You find one conspir- co-conspirator or maybe two who are, who are game and want to do it, and I believe it requires having a good attitude about what you're doing. I mean, I don't believe in, in – in fucked up evil pranking you know like the jack
0: no but you're still like the idea of going out and doing an adventure or doing something different or or just saying you know we're gonna go here and we're going to do this and it's something totally counter to whatever else is going on right now because that's kind of what the well, Cacophony Society yeah, I mean, was, was it, it. was it was like, let's get together and try something different. Let's try something, a new experience of some kind. And every week you guys or however you got together, you would Correct. do something different and something. And, no, and most of the time you guys didn't know what was going on well, when you did it. So
2: a lot of times we didn't know what was going on. But I, I would also say to younger people wanting to do it, look at, you know, don't don't depend on the past at all, but look at it and review it um, and, and take ideas from people who've done stuff in the past. And mm. if you like the idea, mm. try it. Put your own imprimatur on it. Do it yourself, and maybe put your own mix in it. You know, that, I mean, that's what I tell like people. You know, I used to get a lot of emails through our uh, BLF site, which is an anonymous. I mean, you couldn't easily find out who we were. I get a lot of emails from young people who wanted to join the BLF, and this is like, you know, even like fifteen years ago. You know, I was like already a geezer, right? And I'd say, look, uh, you don't want to really join our group. We're like old, smelly people, and we, you wouldn't old like people. our people. You know, start, <laughs> yeah, start your own fucking group. Right? Start your own fucking group and borrow or steal whatever ideas of ours you like, mix them up with your own ideas and other ideas that you run across and do your own thing, you know, fucking do your own thing. It's like, when it comes to other things I've been involved in, you know, they get old and stale and tired. It's like, make something new, take the ideas that you like and make them your own, you know, I mean, borrow them, steal them, whatever, and, and then try something different, you know? Uh, Yeah. So I just encourage people, you know, it just takes the attitude to want to do something. Um, And, I believe, I don't know how to put this right, but have a, having a good spirit about it, you know, having a positive spirit about what you're doing, in some way trying to make things better or to put across an idea that you think will connect you with other people or get other people thinking about a, a concept that maybe they're not, they're not thinking about. You know, when it comes to media, getting people to look at how the media works and how it controls your thought processes, that's, a, that's an important thing. And if you can figure out a way to do that humorously, you know, if you go up against the corporations and try to really assault them or attack them, they're just going to crush you. You go up against the government, they're going to find you and put you in jail, right? You make fun of them. You know, that's the only, that's the only power your, your small, you know, citizens really have in, uh, in, in what, you know, still a, basically a free society, although we're getting, you know, getting a little tight over here and there, but like mm-hmm. I said, I mean, and, and don't make assumptions. Like I assume that, Urban exploration was dead after 9-11, but you know what? Boy, was I wrong. And it's the 20-year-olds who figured it out. The kids are just going out and doing it and testing the boundaries, like going out and exploring places and go, oh, I, there was a camera there, but nobody showed up. Maybe nobody's watching the camera. You know, I mean, that's how they figured it out. You know, I mean, this giant security apparatus that everybody's so afraid of, it's run by humans. It's filled with all <laughs> kinds of potential.
1: It's run by idiots. and
2: error. Well, I'm just, you know, I didn't want to say that, but, you know, I did. did. <laughs> so, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you think about that. All this shit's, it's run by humans. It, a lot of it doesn't work right. Okay. I've been on, I'm not going to say which structures, but quite recently, you know, some servers that had security apparatus um, and cameras in nice fixtures that were full of water. <laughs> okay. And they oh, hadn't been terrific. checked by the maintenance people in months. Okay. And that's like, who would know that, right? I wouldn't assume it's. I wouldn't assume it's the case. You know, you have to be careful. If you're if you're breaking the law, you're taking a risk, and you have to decide if you want to take that risk mm-hmm. or not. I mean, if you're trespassing in an abandoned building, let's say there, there are whole levels of it. If you're quote unquote trespassing in an abandoned building, chances are pretty good nobody's going to care too much. It depends a lot on say like, yeah. hey, you're from Detroit, so you know like, you're in the oh, Packard yeah, plant a, yeah. right, for years, hundreds, thousands of people went to the Packard plant. We used to go in there with a crew of like. 10 15 people and blow off bags of major fireworks for like two hours straight right in the middle of Detroit, and nobody cared. Okay, because that's that was the nature of that area and what was happening at that time. That's changed now. Now that some of the places got a little bit heavier, they've got a little bit you know, it's changed a little bit. But you know, you have to like you have to decide is the crime that I'm doing worth the time that I could do? You have to really make that decision. And if it's a minor thing, like sneaking into a abandoned building, you know, yeah, probably what's the worst thing that could happen? You could spend a night in jail, maybe pretty unlikely, you know, you get kicked out that's probably what's going to happen if some of a security guard or something, you know, and, and, and most abandoned buildings don't have security guards. That's the other thing, you know, look around, like, and, and, you know, one thing about doing all this kind of thing, is it heightens your senses. If you're not stupid and you're doing this kind of pranking, it heightens your senses. You're really paying attention, right? You're paying attention to your, your environment, what's going around you, the people around you, who's there, you know, and you find if you're going to want to go into some <laughs> giant abandoned brewery or abandoned factory, you'll look around. I mean, do they have a security guard? You know, what's, what time do they drive around? A, does anybody really care if I go into this place or not? If it's locked down tight and it has concertina wire everywhere, and there's a and there's a big you know like a, a bunch of cameras everywhere in an abandoned building, you know the chances are you're taking a bigger risk, and it's just like like a packer, but You have to walk into it from any one of ten thousand places, right? You oh yeah,
0: yeah. I used to do. We did raves there. And uh, there was also a place called Splatball City there that uh, we used to go play paintball at. And that's how I originally found out about the place. And then somebody would run out. They would rent because they would rent these sections of this old abandoned car factory out for super cheap. And they would hold these raves there. And uh, back when I was younger, the rave scene was getting busted by the cops all the time. I remember once we were loading up my Ford Fairmont station wagon at the back door as the cops were busting in the front door because I would I would do raves with my buddy and I would be I would oh, have yeah. my keyboard set up and he would have his turntable set up and we had just got done and we were unloading just as the cops were coming in so we literally got in the car slammed and we look at the Blues Brothers we got in the car slammed the door took off and as we pulled out of the alley the cops were pulling around the back of the alley so. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. That's
2: exactly what I'm talking about. And that
0: building, about. still parts of it are still there. It's collapsing like mad, but it's still there.
2: Yeah. Let's see, and that's the thing. You have to decide if what you're doing is really worth the risk or not. And that's a serious thing. That's not no fooling. You know, I mean, spending a night in jail, if you've never done it, you know, that can, you know, it can be quite frightening and upsetting and, you know, can fuck your life up. Spending more time than that, deal depending on how badly you pissed them off. So you have to think this shit through. I'm not encouraging anybody to break the law or do anything illegal at all. I'm encouraging people to be aware of their fucking world and their environment, people around them and how they affect things. I learned that in a suicide club. It was a big deal. You know, we took responsibility for what we we're doing and you know, and when we got slapped hard which happened a couple times hard, you know, it, it's like we weren't surprised. You know, we tried not you know, try not to try not to make the same mistakes again. And that's all. I mean it's like you live
0: life. But you guys also did stuff like you you did a naked streetcar thing where everybody showed up naked and just rode a streetcar. So cable yeah, car. Cable yeah. Car, cable yeah. Cable. yeah. That's right. Now these days, I mean, you, you probably couldn't get a, again because now everybody's seen everything. You probably couldn't get away with that. Now. Um, I remember. Oh, you could do it. You could
2: easily do it. Nobody, we wouldn't be that. Yeah. Anybody, I don't think. Um,
0: I remember a few years ago, we were driving through New York and we were stopped. We were next to central park and we were at a stoplight and then the light was starting to change, and all these people come running by, and they were all wearing Star Trek outfits, different Star Trek outfits, from different shows. And there was like 20 of them, and we're, I'm in the car off by whoever I was with, and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Because it, it, it these Star Trek people go running, and then we pull up a little bit, and we get around the corner, and we look, and there's like 30, 40 people in Central Park down there doing yoga. They're all doing like mass yoga, wearing Star Trek uniforms. And this today, I have no idea what the hell that was.
2: Okay, uh, that was probably... Uh... That was probably uh, uh, oh fuck what's the group in New York? Ah um, oh, shit, I should. Uh,
0: there's a really great
2: flash mob group that started in New York about 15 years ago, and uh, having a total total uh, brain spasm here. I can't remember the, uh, what the fuck was the name of that group. They do the they do the no pants subway rides, and uh, um, they did the big flash mobs in uh, uh, time in Times Square and in uh, uh, um, the. Um, big train station there uh uh where these had like you know like a thousand people mm-hmm. stop moving at the same second that kind of thing what the hell's name in the group like, god damn it, charlie todd's group improv everywhere uh yeah improv everywhere that's proper. what you're describing sounds like, see
0: that sounds like a lot of fun to me yeah, that it sounds stuff like,
2: sounds like a, an improv everywhere prank from what you've said uh and that's funny because charlie charlie has got pretty well known for organizing these you know kind of a proto or not proto but like a like kind of uh, early flash mobs and uh, pretty big, pretty big deals where they get like a thousand people doing stuff. And he was one of the first people really organizing that on a large scale. And he's doing that in the, you know, the early two thousands, like 2001, 2002, uh, maybe a little, even a little bit earlier than that. He he actually, he wrote the uh, afterward for our book too. He did a one page afterward for us about being uh, inspired by the Santas that he saw on the streets of New York to start doing flash mobs. So there's, there's a lot of like interconnected history here Um, and, uh, you know, see, I just feel like I'm part of this long on ongoing history. When I was 19 and I joined the suicide club, I thought we were inventing all this shit that we were doing. I thought, oh my God. Nobody's ever climbed the golden gate bridge or nobody's ever gone into a, these crazy underground sewer tunnels. Right. But I, as I went along over time, I realized not only had people done it in the past, but there's a long, long history of weird pranking and exploring and just doing stuff that's not commercial. That's not based on, you know, uh, uh, simple mercantile greed. And that's radical. It's still a radical thing. Yeah. You know, something being yeah. free is quite radical to this day, especially in our culture. Mm-hmm. Pay for everything. Right.
0: Literally. You, know, you have to have a
2: little slack. Like some genius guys will say you have to have slack. Right. And if you have <laughs> a little bit of slack, you can do this stuff. Right. You can do this stuff.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, you basically have to have an apartment to live in. You have to have enough money that you can eat, and have a little teeny bit of money left over to do your creative stuff. And if you have that, if you have that much, You can, you can do the stuff that we're doing. It's not rocket science, trust me. Well, we've been at the
0: uh, hour mark now, so um, I know you've got stuff you got to go do. You're busy. Um, and I do appreciate you coming on here. This yeah. has been a riot talking to you. I would love to talk to you again down the road. I'm going to try to get a copy of your book, and I would love to have you back because the stories you're telling are a lot of fun and very fascinating. So um, if you have anything you'd like to pimp out, a website, uh, if you want to talk about your book again, your appearances, go right ahead and tell anybody, anything um, yeah. that anybody can find you at. Sure. Sure.
2: Um, well, we, 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 uh, Carrie Galbraith, Kevin Evans, and I made a book called The Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society back in 2013. And uh, it was a hardback, 320 pages, full color with beautiful artwork done by Kevin. And we collected together stories and, uh, uh ephemera and, uh, you know, press clippings and whatnot from, you know, the 30 year history of cacophony, put them in a book. It's been reprinted, it sold out, uh, and it's been reprinted in paperback now, and it's out, um, last gas publishers. And you can order it, you know, from directly from them or probably online. And we're having a book reading for that in San Francisco at City Lights Books on October 13th. And we'll be in New York sometime in December for a reading, probably somewhere in Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, so that's going on. My uh, personal blog is uh, johnwlaw.com. I haven't updated in a while, but it's got some funny stuff on it. Um, we have a website for the Cacophony book, Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony. I think it's www.talesofsfcacophony.com. Um, and that's that's it. That's my pimping for now.
0: Man, you've been a riot to talk to. I'm, I'm so happy I found <laughs> you. I, I, I'm going to bug you again to come back on the show at some point. I, I sure. want to hear more of your stories sure. and the things yeah. that you've done because um, well, you're a fascinating yeah, guy. <laughs> it's a good fun. Well, thanks
2: for having me, and uh, and you know, just keep in mind, I mean, I'm I'm one of many. I mean, I'm part of a collaborative effort going on over the course of years, and I'll just, just leave you with a thought. I mean, uh, as far as like uh, talking to young people, I just say find out what you're supposed to do And then do something else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's good advice. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on here and talking to us. This has been a lot of fun, and I very much look forward to talking to you again, man. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, John.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Talk to you later. You
0: got it. Conspiranormal Podcast proudly presents the Strange Realities Conference. Strange Realities. Come join us for one day of presentations on the paranormal with live music at night featuring... Tim Banal. The rise and fall of the flat earth theory. Joshua Cutchin. Alien hybrid lore. Joe Damari, Pushing the limits of reality. Guy Malone. Roswell 1947. What really happened? Timothy Renner. Pennsylvania wild man. And added to the lineup Mark Anthony Wyatt. Cornish legends and UFO sightings. Zach Hunt. A presentation of his book Unraptured. Followed by a live recording of the Conspiranormal podcast. More speakers and music acts to be in Announced October 19, 2019, SIR National. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, 30 bucks presale. Hey there, fellow archivists. This is Alex from the Alex Cast talking to you. I just want to tell you that I have a brand new book of short stories out. It's called The Terravada Machine and Other Stories available on Amazon. Just search for Alex Bolin, Alex with two X's, or you can go to alexbolin.com if you want a direct link. That's A-L-E-X-X-B-O-L-L-E-N.com. The Terravada Machine and other stories. It's the sort of short story book that people that listen to Project Archivist would enjoy. It's got weird stuff in it and emotionally raw things, but you can skip those if you want. There's There's one about the Mandela Effect. It's right up your alley. So please give it a read. The Terravada Machine and other stories available now. Thanks. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So that was John. That guy was a riot. He was... he was a lot more fun to talk to than I thought he was going to be, and I I will be bugging him again. Every time I say that, it usually means that we'll never hear from the person again. But, well, I don't know. Lucia came back on. She came yep. back on. Or a few people have come back on. So, uh, which, by the way, Lucia, I did get my autographed copy of Dangerous Games to play in the dark, which means you should be getting yours at any time. So mm-hmm. the copy that I now have, I have to mail out to a friend of ours because uh, I don't need two copies of it. I promised somebody I would send it to him. But, um, so, yeah, um... Okay, let's get into the fever dream thing. As, as you know, and as everybody else knows, a few weeks ago, uh, I did the show with Lily and Soraya, and I was running a fever that whole weekend. And I was it was probably like right around 100, 101, just over in that area. So um, And it came up out of nowhere, and it hit me, and it knocked me on my ass. I didn't really have any other symptoms other than just the shakes really bad, the sweats, and the fever. So I I fell asleep, you know, blah, 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 as, as you do when you're tired. And I started having, um, I had a lot of really weird dreams, but a couple of them stuck out the most. And it's been a while since I've kept any kind of a dream diary, but these were so off the wall and bizarre that like both of them, I woke up and when you wake up from a nightmare, you're screaming, you're sweating. When I woke up from these, I just kind of sat there and chuckled at myself, like what the hell just happened? Um, one of them is I ended up having um, coffee with a, a gumdrop Sasquatch. Um, and I don't know what the, I don't even know how to fucking respond. I know to that. that. I know, I know, I don't I don't expect you to. It's okay. I don't expect Ugh. you to respond to any of I, I I was sick, dude. I was having a fever dream, okay? So you know whatever, dude. it's the Pink Floyd song comfortably numb. So in this dream, there was I no was, gum job in that. Th- well, it's whatever it's, that's that's the song moving on you're mm. you're you're going far too deep into this dude. This is not a mm. deep thing. So from what I remember in this dream, I was sitting in a coffee shop and there was Sasquatch across from me, but he was made out of gumdrops and his eyes were like the, the orange, you know, the orange slices with the sugar all over them. You know, they're like a gummy orange, like an orange slice. So he was just like all covered in gumdrops. And Yeah, I was. I was. Um, well, I come to find out later on that apparently this was a gummy worm commercial or something that they had did at one point. They did some kind of a gummy worm commercial where Sasquatch was made out of this, but I didn't know that. My oldest daughter never heard of it. Neither yeah, have I. I was. I was having dinner with my daughter last week, and I told her about it, and she's like, "Yeah, they are, that already happened. That was a that was a commercial." But anyways, um, so his mouth may have been gummy worms. I don't remember, but I'm sitting in Starbucks and I'm having coffee with Sasquatch and Sasquatch is sitting there with his legs crossed and all intellectual. And I remember in the dream. I'm complaining like, man, you know, like the, the rent's coming up, which was weird. Cause I don't, own, I don't rent a house. I buy, I'm, I'm, I own mine, but I'm like the rent's coming up and, and like, you know, I've been laid off and I got all the utilities coming up and I got the electric bill coming up and I was just like bitching about my problems to Sasquatch and Sasquatch is on the other side of me made of gumdrops. And he's like, he talked like Scooby-Doo, but I understood him. It was kind of like Chewbacca. You don't understand what the fuck he's saying, but everybody in the movie understands Chewbacca. So he's... And I'm like, you know, and Sasquatch is basically telling him, you need to get your shit together and get your life in order and stop complaining about all this stuff and actually start doing stuff. So I'm getting existential advice from a gumdrop Sasquatch in my dream. And... And he's like, <laughs> talking like that, and I'm like, yeah, but you're 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 Sasquatch. You don't need heat. You don't need utilities. You live out in the woods. And then I was like, I thought about, it. I'm like, but the problem is, if it starts raining, then you're gonna get all wet, and you know, like gumdrops don't do well in water. And if it gets hot out, then you're gonna get all sticky. And he's like, <laughs> like you know, like what the hell do you know about my life? You know, I live in a different world than you do, and blah blah blah. And then we started getting to an argument about him being blurry in photographs, and at no time did the idea of A, I'm having coffee with Sasquatch... And B, I'm having coffee with Sasquatch made out of gumdrops that no time did I ever in my dream question, why the hell am I sitting here with Sasquatch made out of gumdrops? It was just me talking to Sasquatch and Sasquatch is like, like giving me like, like the hard love, you know, and, and and Sasquatch is like telling me I need to get my shit together and stuff like that, which I don't, I don't really know what the deeper significance of that dream was. Maybe the message was- You were talking to yourself. Yes, but- where did I get the gumdrop Sasquatch from? What? And usually with my dreams, I can analyze, okay, I had this dream because of that, this, this, and that. Now, some of it I can understand where this came from, but where did gumdrop Sasquatch come from? You know, and is he delicious? Something you ate before you went to bed. I guess. So you're not you're not into this at all, but you're going to have to sit and because I know there's people out there that are listening to this right now cracking up. So then move on to another fever How dream. How is this different from any other time? Oh, my God. You're such a prick. But... I'm not a therapist, so you can't hate me. And you know, a few people are going to get that joke. But I'll take the rapist for 500. That's the therapist. rapist for 500, <laughs> Alex. Well, fuck it, Trebek. So anyways, the next dream, I had to go downstairs and empty out all the clothes of, out of the dryer from the washing machine. And I didn't want to do it. You know, I don't mind doing the laundry. But it's like... There's, there's certain jobs that when you don't want to do them and you're married, you just purposely screw those jobs up so you don't have to worry about doing them again. Me was the no. laundry. No. So, no. Yes. No. Yes. That's the fucking stupidest thing ever. Okay, moving on. So... Oh D- don't discipline me right now in the middle of story time with the kids. All right. All right. Gather around kids. It's story time with Ro. Uh, so a long time ago, I messed up the laundry. Granted, when I got married, so- when when my wife met me, I wore a lot of black, a lot of stuff with skulls. I didn't have a lot of color variety in my laundry. So for me, laundry was like underwear and socks in this load. That's the sanitary in or whatever load. Everything else, which is dark colors or black, goes in this load. So, you know, la- I kept it real la- laundry for me was very simple. So when we got married, I was still under that mentality, so I messed up a lot of clothes. Okay, okay, I put the colors with this, it bled, blah, blah, blah. Things, Bad things happen. So anyways, in this dream, I didn't want to do the laundry for whatever reason. I'm downstairs, I'm doing the laundry. I open up, I pull the clothes out of the washing machine, and there was a tentacle in there. I remember that now. There was After I pulled the laundry out, a Cthulhu-ish tentacle kind of reached out and went around and went back into the laundry tub. Of course, I didn't react to it at all. I was like, yeah, great, you know, tentacle in my laundry. Everybody, I want you to visualize that, right? Pull your laundry out, and a tentacle kind of, like, comes out and goes back into the laundry thing. So then I put that into the laundry basket. I open up the laundry, the dryer, and the lint ball family comes out. And by the lint ball family, I mean, like like the dryer lint, the dryer lint catcher. The, everybody's got a dryer lint catcher in their dryer. Well, like the, all the, like, it was like, I open it up and it was like, like the clown scene where all the cars, the clowns come coming out of the car. So this big laundry, like this big ball of lint rolls out and then a smaller ball rolls out. And then two really small balls of lint roll out. And I'm like, Oh great. It's, it's the lint family. I'm pissed off in my dream because the lint family is paying me a visit and I'm trying to do the laundry and the lint family is rolling around my basement, like knocking shit off the, like I do canning. Okay. I've, I do canning. I got canned tomatoes. I've got canned pickles. You know, it's one of my things that I do. I'm, I'm the do it yourself guy. So the lint family is rolling around in my basement and I'm just get pissed off and I'm throwing clothes into the dryer. And I'm trying to remember if I dry this, will it shrink? Does this need to be on just tumble dry or hang dry? And in the meantime, like the lint family is just rolling around the basement, knocking shit off the shelves, knocking shelves over, knocking, messing up the pantry, knocking over my camping stuff that I haven't used in like 16 years, because it's like here's my camping stuff. I don't want to get rid of it because someday I'm going to go camping again. But I probably really never not. will. So yeah, and I don't want to get rid of it. You know, it's like tent, lantern, like portable grill um, you know, air mattress, uh, sleeping bags, all this shit. And it's like someday I'm gonna go camping in. No, You're I'm not. not. But the Lent family's rolling all over, destroying everything. And I'm like, Will you I'm like, will you guys quit it? I'm in my I guess apparently I was talking in my because my, my wife was like, Who were you yelling at last night? And here's oh, you me must
1: be a joy to live with.
0: I'm like, Well, you remember way back when I was doing the dream experimentation, oh, I would yeah. be running in my sleep. That was kind of mm-hmm. what it was like, I guess. And she's like, "So what are you yelling about?" And I don't, I don't dare tell my wife I was yelling at the lint family. And and she's like, "What?" I'm like, "The lint family. The lint. Th- there was these balls of lint that came out of the dryer, and they started destroying the basement. And you know, I eventually had to like open the door and get them to shush them up the steps and shush them outside. And like anytime they went into a room, they would destroy everything. They were like the Langoliers from that Stephen King. Oh, were. dude, no, come yeah, on. they were like no, l- they were like no. lint Langoliers. Oh my god. <laughs> and they would just roll over." everything and destroy everything so when I woke up it was another oh, time geez. it was like what the hell was that all about you know what what, what it all and then promptly the next day my dryer, did, my dryer died it spins but it doesn't put heat out so I've got the repairman coming next week to fix that details about Rojan's life so anyway no, exactly cares. nobody cares about oh, my broken dryer, but they do care about the lint family ruling over everything. Now, sure. I just know right now that Aaron is going to go out there and draw a cartoon for both of these. <laughs>
1: oh, for it. great. Maybe the Gumdrop Sasquatch is putting lint balls in its dryer. Yeah. So you no, know, the
0: Gumdrop Sasquatch would be like, "What the hell is wrong with you? You need to get this crap out of your house. You need to get dryer." Like the Gumdrop Sasquatch was trying to give me like life advice. Gumdrop
1: Sasquatch was the voice yeah, of reason. And, Terrific.
0: And I don't know where Lint, fam, Lint Ball family came from, like destroying everything. And they they were like this really rowdy, like they were like squirrels that just get in and destroy everything. And I'm like, get, get out of here, go upstairs, you know, and then like the little Lint Ball, be like, you know, and it it, it it was fucked up, you know, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. So here's yeah, me chasing, yeah, in my up. dream, chasing the lint ball family around my house with a broom trying to get them to go outside. But my house was like infinitely huge, you know, and it's like a house isn't this big, but I've got lint balls destroying everything. So that's, that's Rogan's fevered dreams. Um, plus it didn't help. Like when I'm really, t- I can't go to sleep. I'll take a couple of bennies. I'll take some Benadryl and, you know, then, or melatonin. Dang, Cause I've got that, th- so well, that bennies you. take Benadryl. Um, so yeah, that all happened. That was oh, a thing that. that went down. And, uh, you know, for a couple of days, it was like, oh my God, I don't want to go to sleep now. Cause I don't, I mean, there were more, I just don't remember them. They were all weird. Thank they Christ. were all weird. Maybe it had to do with the, the Cthulhu living in my, in my washing machine. But which didn't happen again. Like the tentacle came out, reached around, and like reached up and shut the lid on itself and closed the door. It was like cousin it from the Adams family, mm. you know. And that didn't even. Know, I didn't, it was like, yeah, great. There's a tentacle monster in my washing machine. That's that's awesome. Now I got what am I gonna do with these damn lint balls that are destroying my house right now? So um, yeah, that was that. That was it. And um, so moving on. <laughs> now I did score Tool tickets this week too. I'm gonna see Tool November 3rd. Get really Yay. lucky on that one. I was number two thousandth in line the second the tickets went on sale. But it's gonna be me, my buddy, and and Denny Kish. I'm finally gonna go hang out with Denny, who lives maybe twenty minutes or a half hour away from that. I've yet to meet in person, but we're gonna go see Tool, who usurped the uh, throne of Taylor Swift, I guess, in the last week with album sales or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, that's uh that's pretty much it. That's that's the show this week in a nutshell. Um, you know. Got anything to say? Want to talk about anything? No? Yeah? Maybe? Got anything? No? I, are you going to be doing no. a Spark episode anytime soon again? You know, I've been getting some people asking. P- Who? Some Who people. Who are some people? There's people. See, this is the thing. Some This, people. this is the thing. I... No.
1: Unless somebody fucking writes it down on the page or I get an email or I get a fucking direct message, I don't want to hear about some people. Okay. Because some people. Is Everybody a load out of shit. there
0: that messages me saying, Everybody When's Nobo going to do a show again? No. Who? Who well, Lily, for one, was Who before before that? all this stuff. Yeah, Lily. Well, it doesn't count. Whatever. Okay. Stop. No, Stop. lots of people ask me Stop. all the time, When's Nobo going to do a show Stop. again? No. Stop. No. Don't tell me to stop. I've had lip balls destroy my house.
1: You've been running your mouth for long enough, diarrhea. You don't. Holy shit. Until I hear from somebody that's actual somebody, I don't want to hear about people are telling
0: you. No one's telling me So if everybody goes on the Facebook page... Because if they
1: would, they'd be doing action If everybody goes on the
0: Facebook page and says...
1: Nobody brought... One person brought it up during the live stream. Okay. One person. But
0: okay. So if somebody, if everybody goes on the Facebook page or writes in emails or oh, calls okay. the show, let's have them call the show. Cause nobody ever calls the show, but let's have them call the show and say, yeah, Lobo, sure. we'd like to hear more from you. That doesn't mean that virtually guarantees you that you won't record anything about. for the show. I know you got stuff in the works sure. and I know who you're going to do it with. It's just a matter of you sitting down and doing it.
1: Yeah, I got a lot of stuff in... I got a lot of irons in the fire
0: right now, but I'm dealing with other shit right now. I'm just saying, people out there would like to hear from you, which is one of the reasons why I included I you into Mint. the Fast Food Folly show that you refused to do. Ugh. I got a chicken sandwich this week. I did. Popeyes. Problem. They had a few. Yeah, I had a Burger King chicken sandwich. I'm trash. That's okay. Whatever. You know. And then I went back to you another one, and they're like, now... Nah, They don't have them here in town. They ran out. Burger King chicken sandwiches? Popeye's. Yeah, they ran out here, too, after I got mine. And I
1: won't eat Chick-fil-A because I like the gays.
0: So, (laughs) we don't have a Chick-fil-A here. Well, they're building one, finally. What you finally? It's trash. Michigan is a fast food desolation wasteland. Whenever we get a new fast food place here, what happens is it opens up and it's promptly bombarded and... Like when they opened up a Sonic here, the first Sonic they opened here, when it opened, there was a line wrapping around the building.
1: Yes. Yeah. Same here. We don't
0: have, we have, for years, all we had was Taco Bell, McDonald's, and Burger King. And that was it. And then Sonic opens up and people were like, huh, what is this Sonic thing? And then, since then, they've opened up a few more and it's gone down quite a lot. But when it first opened, people were just losing their minds over this Sonic thing. You know? So. And, and then uh, they had a uh, Del Taco. There's only one Del Taco in my area, and at any time that you go there, you're never going to get in. And you can't just pull through it because there's only one, and the lines are always long. If you go there at night during proper drinking and stoner hours, you're not going to get your food. You, yeah, the people stoner that are waiting hours. in line at Del Taco at ten o'clock at night are because they've got nothing else to do because they're far too drunk to go anywhere else. So they're too stoned, so they have to go to Del Taco because it's the only Del Taco we have. So see, we don't. We got, we have like diners and shit mm-hmm. here.
1: Like we have, we have McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and Taco Bell, but, and Sonic. But we got like Dad's and uh, Amore's yeah, and bit. Little Caesars, Little, what is not Little Caesars, Little Italy and we're phosisticated here.
0: I like that. I see what you did there. It sounded like me. It sounded like something <laughs> I would say, not intentionally, because I'm dyslexic. That's Patrick. So. Oh, from SpongeBob? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, be old. Smart, and folks did you watch the Invader's in End movie, the new one?
1: No, I didn't. I don't... I, I am... Uh, dude, I don't want to be let down. It's okay. At the end... when. When they pulled the when right before they pulled the plug on the original series, they brought in the baby moose or the little moose and shit. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This it is was trash.
0: Okay. It wasn't great. It was OK. But it was, you know, because you're like you go into watching and, watch and think, oh, this is going to be great. Invader Zim's back. But it's kind of like when they brought Beavis and Butthead back. It's like, yeah, it's the same, but it's not it's not funny anymore. Dude, they'll never be as good as head. What?
1: Invader <sighs> oh. Zim. Zim, go down to the nurse. You have head pigeons. That was from Dark Harvest. That was one of the best episodes.
0: My children are still scarred by that episode. I I, I miss the days when Transmissions from the Bunker was still a podcast and Pastor Rico would do the the Ger voice back in the day. Mm. But anyways, so, all right, you want to wrap this up and call Mm. it good? Because we've been yammering here for like 16 minutes. So the closing Mm. message here, folks, is number one, we are never, ever, 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 ever getting back together. And number two... That we need Oh my god. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do. But um oh my god. the other thing is go on the Facebook page, leave a message or call into the show. Don't send an email. We we have to have we have to have confirmation that Lobo can see that people would like Lobo to do another episode of the Spark again. I, he needs to he needs to know that people are in fact actually out there wanting him to do something. You did the live stream. You did the live stream on the Facebook page, that turned out pretty well.
1: Yeah, it didn't get a lot of people. Yeah, but people went and saw it
0: afterwards. Afterwards, they got a response. Sure they did. You know. Terrific.
1: (laughs) It's like a UFO. It's awesome. Oh, my God. It's just... just, I'm dealing with crippling depression right now. I'm having a hard time. It's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. (sighs) You going to be okay? Yeah, I'm... If I haven't killed myself yet, chances I mean, are I, can't, I won't. I
0: can't bitch at you because you know the year that I've had and I've I've been run through the ringer and yep. I'm, I'm I'm getting there, I'm doing okay. I, I will be okay, I will be better, I'm I'm back on look, I'm smiling, I'm happy again. Then again, the lint ball and well but when when gumdrop Sasquatch <laughs> when gumdrop fuck, Sasquatch dude? sits oh, you down and has a talk with you, oh. you listen to Gumdrop Sasquatch. That's what you need. You need gumdrop no, dude, Sasquatch. It, no.
1: Dude, dude no, I don't sasquatch. need gumdrop sasquatch. Gum sass, no, gum sass will set gum you straight, dick. man. Gum sass. That sounds gum like a porn Gum sass will name. set you
0: and tell you how it is. Gum sass is going to be like, listen, dude, get off your ass. Wow. But he's not going to say it like this.
1: I don't enough of my family talk
0: like that now. But the problem is I know you. God. If gum sass were sitting there saying that, hey, you'd throw your coffee in his face, which wouldn't be good because he's gum.
1: I'd shoot him. I'd shoot him Then you'd in his have mouth. proof
0: of gum sauce actually existing. You would have a physical body to <laughs> I'd eat him after.
1: I'd fucking eat him. I
0: would, I would assume his power. <laughs> the Mongolian deaf gummy uh, worm
1: just popped in my it. head
0: for some reason. Ever see those giant gummy worms that they have? They're massive.
1: Yeah, and they're hard to oh, finish. Yeah.
0: You'd be diabetic Dude, when you're done. Three feet
1: of gummy is hard to finish, and that's where I'll leave that. <laughs>
0: Uh, all right, let's wrap this up and
1: get out of here. Also not a good sex toy.
0: No, we're not leaving now. So, no, we're anyway, not leaving we're now. What would, you, would go? you...
1: So, let's go. <laughs> and that, my friends, is where it ends. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Go see Joker. I have no interest in seeing that. I probably will, though. Be Did you see shit.
1: it? I saw three quarters of really? it so far. It's a good movie it is i would venture to say it may be until star wars comes out it may be the best movie of the year you're
0: really excited for the new star wars movie legit i
1: am because i want it to be over
0: oh have you seen the previews to all
1: and i want to see the Mandalorian. i need that looks better but i want the skywalker yeah i want it done i want this to be over I want it to be over. I want it to be exactly what I think it's going to be.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to, to the to. Mandalorian. Like when I, I'm, I'm shamelessly saying the day that it's, that Disney yeah. Channel goes live, I will be dropping my credit card instantly. Uh, I was so against it. I was like, no, I'm not going
1: to do that. And then I see the trailer for the Mandalorian, and I'm like, I'm going to have to yeah, get it now.
0: I'm going to get it just for that alone. I, I know I will. I'm, I'm shamelessly. I'm. i, I I'm, How do I get laid? How do I ever get laid? See, I don't
1: know. I don't know. Same. <laughs> I don't know. dude. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody today over some of the spreadsheets I'm going over for some scientific research I'm looking at, and they're just looking at me like, "How does your wife even talk to you?"
0: Well, it's easy. Like, you have gummy I, bears for sex toys or gummy worms. So. I didn't say she was involved in that. Oh my God! Yeah, we're gonna wrap this up now. <laughs> we're good i have no idea what we're doing next week for a show but um you know we'll figure something out and we'll see everybody next week i guess we're, we're done folks this is this is rojan peace out from detroit
1: global from connecticut
0: bye peace bye